Hello everyone, it is now 5pm on this Wednesday evening in Kingston and you're listening to CFRC 101.9 FM, www.cfrc.ca. Welcome to this week's segment of Today in YGK with me, your host, Alexandra Fernandez. Today in YGK brings you need-to-know news about what's going on right here in our beautiful city of Kingston. From current news, special segments, and interviews with some amazing guests, I'm sure you'll find something of interest that gets you to tune in. If you have any news to share with me, please contact me via email, which is news at cfrc.ca. So without further ado, let's get right into it. I hope you enjoy the show. Good evening, folks. Thanks for tuning in to CFRC 101.9 FM. You're listening to Today in YGK. It's Alexandra here, and I hope that you're having a great Wednesday so far. I know it's quite a cold day. I feel like it's one of the coldest we've kind of had in the Kingston area. Um, We have a high of negative 7 today and a low of negative 11. So I'm personally not used to this, Um, but I hope uh, you folks are. It's definitely been a difference compared to the last few sunny days we've kind of had. over this past week but um hopefully the weather gets a little bit warmer and not super cold but at the same time it also means that christmas is fast approaching and i'm truly truly thrilled um for that um and i hope that you are too for the holiday season um if you're celebrating with your household your family your friends yourself um however you choose to do that if you choose to celebrate that is um but we have an exciting episode we have um two amazing guests coming on to air with us today. We have Sarah Keyes and Dr. Rupa Patel, um, who are on the Kingston Frontenac Clinics and Addington Food Policy Council, and they're going to talk with us about Bill 216, which is this amazing bill that has passed its second hearing um, in the Senate and is going to go to its third um, sometime in the next few months. Um, and it's a really, really important bill that is really going to change um, the way that food education is handled in the Ontario curriculum for grades 1 to 12 and there are some really exciting changes and really exciting improvements coming out of this Um, but we are going to bring on our experts um, to talk with us about this um, Bill 216 so let's welcome Dr. Rupa Patel and Sarah Keys um, to CFRC 101.9 FM. Um, Before we start with um, some questions would you just mind um, telling us a little bit about yourselves? Oh, okay, so um, yeah, my name's Rupa Patel, and I'm a family doctor in town, and I'm also on the Kingston Food Policy Council, um, and uh, yeah, I was part of that that uh, group that helped um, promote and draft the food policy or the food literacy for students bill. Yeah, and I'm Sarah Keys. Um, so I've been on the Food Policy Council for three years, um, but really been working in food for about 10. Um, and yeah, we uh, it, I've been working in food literacy up until just recently, um, doing hands-on food education. So this, this bill was something that we drafted actually three years ago, and uh, just now has started to move forward in the legislature. So it's been interesting to see that process and um, really exciting that it's, it's uh, moving forward. Um, yeah, but everybody on the Food Policy Council is really, really thrilled that uh, this is happening. Yeah, for sure. And it sounds like a really, really great um, bill that would benefit um, so many people um, in the province and stuff. Um, so for those of um, our listeners who may not know, can you explain the gist of the new Food Literacy for Students Act um, and what its establishment kind of means for students from grade 1 to 12, um, not just in the Kingston region, but obviously across Ontario as well? 
Um, so we can talk a little bit about how it even came to be, because I think that's interesting. And our Food Policy Council has this interesting mix of people um, on it, community um, organizers and, and um, people who are in education and healthcare and people with like different interests. And we had, we decided that it would, we noticed that these food skills, education and food literacy um, and understanding the food system like that wasn't covered in the curriculum um, regularly, like in, in a sort of a systematic way for in schools. And so it, it just came to be from this mix of people that we thought that this sort of bill that would legislate that um, may be useful. Um, I don't know, Sarah, if you want to say more to yeah, that. Yeah, I think just in, in, because we're coming from different sectors, it was interesting that, you know, from the health sector and from, from the community food sector and from the, you know, agriculture sector, everybody was coming from different, with different hats on, but all seeing mm -hmm. the same thing that, you know, kids need food skills, that there is this de-skilling that has been happening across the, across the population. And so we thought that having this kind of experiential food education mandated to, to be something that kids from grade one to 12 learn and have to learn, um, um, would be something that would really be a value because obviously it has many benefits that we can get into um, a little later. So in terms of the bill though, what it would do is um, make sure that there was opportunities, experiential opportunities, so hands-on um, in every grade to both prepare and grow food and also learn about the food system and local food. So um, you know, the, the, the impacts or the aims of this would be to, you know, obviously support the health and well-being of, of students and also promote a secure and sustainable food system in Ontario. Yeah, for sure. That sounds really great. Um, and how are all these different organizations kind of been working together to advocate for this bill over the last um, two or three years, like you said? Well, actually, it's, it was mainly just the Food Policy Council that, that started uh, this. So the Food Policy Council, as Rupa said, is made up of a bunch of different individuals and we're all volunteers on the council. And so it was the, the us that wrote the bill three years ago and we, in 2018, brought it to MPP Cramp, um, who's been amazing to work with and he's been moving it forward in, in the legislature. So he brought it forward as his private member's bill. Um, and that's how we basically for since 2018 until just two months ago, until it started going through the legislature it, it kind of was just in the process of that happening so we weren't like actively working on it um, and then we got a call right before Thanksgiving actually that they had been picked uh, to to move that bill forward so that's when basically all of this all of this uh, work has there has been a lot of work over the past couple months um, I've me Rupa and I and, and another volunteer Laura uh, who is a med student uh, have been networking with a ton of provincial organizations to really get a lot of support and momentum for the bill mm -hmm. um, because there's so many people that have been working on this for so long like so many so many you know health uh, uh, health and agriculture and and uh, again community food organizations who have been really pushing for this kind of uh, food literacy education knowing how important it is and so um, and there are there's so many that are on board there's I think over 40 endorsers right now mm -hmm. and it's the list is just growing so um, it's been really great to work with uh, with some some of the key organizations that we've I've worked with in the last little while has been like Sustain Ontario and the Ontario um, 
public health associations have been really key in, in networking with their networks to get mm -hmm. it even wider and get more support. So yeah, it's been a really uh, exciting couple of months uh, to see all the enthusiasm for, for this come to be. Yeah, for sure. I think um, we have a website that shows all of our wonderful endorsing organizations. And actually there's a petition to sign there too, Alexandra. And it, it'll give more information about Bill 216 and um, also just show you the, the breadth of um, organizations that, that are supporting this initiative. It's pretty, mm -hmm. it's pretty cool to, to take a look at that webpage. Yeah, for sure. What is the webpage, if you don't mind? Um, it's uh, Food Policy KFLA. Um, I don't know, .ca, .ca or dot, .ca. .ca. Yeah. Okay, awesome. Um, I'll definitely plug that in. Um, and um, how um, in the press release that was sent out about Bill Two One Six, it says that the pandemic has, you know, affected food literacy and an understanding of how food is kind of grown and sourced. And I was just wondering, um, in exactly what ways was it able to kind of do that over the last um, few months? Yeah. So, so I think the pandemic has been really hard for so many people, and and we need to acknowledge that. But then, in some ways, we've learned a lot about how we live and our culture and um what uh what we prioritize and i think we we are seeing now the need for local food systems we are seeing the need for food skills um as more and more people you know have to feed themselves at home and not they can't go out um and so this is this there's been these interesting lessons during the pandemic that i think we need to really keep in mind in the post-pandemic time we need to remember that you know what, like having local and sustainable food systems is really important to have food literacy, food skills education, experiential um, education, like learning to grow a garden, apparently garden growing just went up like crazy over the last summer. Mm -hmm. So these are things that we, I think as a population now are understanding that are they are priorities and it is important um, to the way we live. And, and uh, we just need to, to keep that going. And I think this bill is actually really timely. It's perfect um, because it is a way to, to prioritize some of those issues in the future. Yeah, I totally agree with with everything that Rupa just said, and and also uh, it, COVID also highlighted some of the 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 difficulties and the challenges with our global food system, right? Uh, not being able to have that easy trade that happens that makes the the industrial food system work. Like some of that was cut off. A lot of farmers couldn't get the supplies they needed. So really, mm -hmm. the, I think that that has led to uh, again that more support for for establishing local and regional food systems. Yeah, definitely. And I, um, and I think the other thing is that we all know, like this is also a time when we've all experienced a lot of social isolation and um, food, we, we, need to, we need to remember like food is actually one of the, the ways that we come together as community and, mm -hmm. and we want everybody to have that skill to be able to invite someone over for dinner and connect with your neighbor by bringing them cookies or baking or something like this is, this is a skill that everyone needs for, for many reasons, for your own personal health, for your mental health, for your ability to, to be connected to your community. There's like so many benefits. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. 
Um, and um, Doc, um, Rupa, a question for you. Um, as someone who works as a physician and um, someone who kind of addresses and focuses on um, food and diet related illnesses, what are you sort of most looking forward to with this bill and kind of what progress do you kind of hope to see with it as well? Well, you know, it's so interesting to me when I, I talk to other, you know, physicians and I, I teach residents and, you know, we often are, we often are telling people, okay, well, you know, you have to change your diet, you have to eat better, you have to decrease your sugar, you have diabetes, you know, reduce your carbs. And that's fine to give all that kind of advice. But we don't really ask people, you know, how good are you at like figuring out how to cook for yourself? And do you have the funds for that? How well do you budget? Do you know how to, to cook with, with uh, vegetables? And, mm -hmm. you know, have you done that? And in fact, what I have seen in my practice is that many people don't have those skills because they haven't been taught in the home and then they aren't taught in the school environment. And so they've missed out on a lot of that. I can't believe how many people are eating packaged foods like all day long, you know, Pop-Tarts mm -hmm. in the morning, Lunchables at lunch, and then some kind of like, you know, frozen dinner that's in the microwave. And those highly processed foods are full of sugar and salt and fats that are not good for you. Um, they can, you can have them once in a while. Of course we all do, but uh, like a regular diet of that stuff is really increases your risks of various things. Mm -hmm. So yeah. It is it, oh, go, sorry. Go ahead. No, no. This bill is like my like real, I have a real passion for it because I actually really hope it'll, you know, give people skills, um, that, that will be lifelong skills and, and help them with their personal health. Yeah, for sure. And like educate them so that way they can like make like better lifestyle and like diet and food choices. Yeah, for sure. Um, Sarah, and yeah, yeah we, we've seen, you know, that de-skilling happen across the population. It's not, you know, it's across the socioeconomic uh, mm -hmm. spectrum, you know, mm -hmm. it's so many people just, we're, we're so disconnected from our food system now, right? We used to live on farms and make all our food, but like, you know, obviously life is different now. We're busy. There's, we live in urban centers. We, so that we're, we're, we go to the grocery store and we buy food or we just order takeout and we don't know those processes anymore. So we're, this bill we're hoping is really going to revive that life into this is, this is, our food is important. Like I think it's wild that we graduate high school right now. Like for me personally, I graduated high school and um, it, we eat three times a day, but I didn't know how to cook for myself. Right. And like so many people are graduating high school like that. So like the, we're hoping that this bill addresses that and really like it's it's bound to have health impacts. But also, as, as Rupa's mentioned, so many other impacts as well. The mm -hmm. you know, confidence that's built when you're when you're making food and you're learning about, you know, the food system and how your your impact, your your choices impacted. And, there you know, the working together, that cooperation that comes with it and all the mental health pieces that that it could lead to it's just like there's so many avenues of benefits that we're hoping to see from this mm -hmm. definitely um, and you know the bill has already passed two out of its three hearings so when will um, it go to the third reading and um, what will that process kind of look like so so I guess it goes like after those first two readings it goes to something called a standing committee this is all very interesting how bills get passed into uh, the legislature anyway. So it goes to a standing committee, which is a smaller group of uh, MPPs who look at the bill and 
I guess, study it. They receive, um, you know, feedback about the bill. They, they make amendments if they feel the bill needs it. And then it goes to the third reading, hopefully in January, I think we're thinking. Okay. Um, and we're hoping it will go to the third reading without, you know, many amendments or any at all. Yeah, and I just want to note on that, like we have heard from tons of organizations, all a ton of support and also some concerns because obviously there's, you know, it's not a, it, we, we couldn't have, we couldn't write everything into this bill. Mm -hmm. And so the, it's kind of a big picture legislation uh, after which it gets passed we're going to work through all these concerns, some concerns that have been brought up. And that's what MPP Kraft has said, like he's going to bring all the stakeholders on board, really work in collaboration to work out solutions to the issues that have been raised because we want this curriculum and this, this course of study to really work for everybody. It's the teachers. We don't, you know, want, we don't want the teachers to be overburdened. We want, mm -hmm. you know, everything, everybody to be happy with it in the end. So mm -hmm. that's really exciting that it's going to be this kind of collaborative process. Yeah, for sure. And when are you sort of hoping to like implement this like into education and stuff? Like would it be for the September like 2021 year or ASAP? I wish it would be that quickly. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think we all do, but no, it, it's going to take some time for sure because okay. Like that consultation process has to happen. The curriculum, there's no curriculum. There, there's a bunch of curriculum developed, but not by the Ontario like education right. system. Like so, there obviously there's some to build on for sure. Um, family studies have been doing this kind of work, so there's there's things to there, there's curriculum out there. We just have to bring it all to make it make it for every grade. Um, and okay. that work I think is going to take a couple years. Mm -hmm. Is more kind of the timeline, right? For sure. But I mean, like when you're, you know, putting in all that effort and stuff and like um, you have all that time kind of dedicated to it, then you know that you're going to end up giving it to all these students and these teachers with the complete information that they need. Absolutely. And making sure that, you know, the teachers who aren't, you know, uh, familiar with this kind of education, if they're the ones uh, delivering it, that they're trained properly, right? And, oh. you know, and, and then bringing in hopefully community organizations who have been doing this work in lieu of having a provincial curriculum and making, you know, having those partnerships continue to happen. Like that's, that's hopefully what, and, the, and then the public health units that have been doing this kind of work. There's, there's a lot of people who, again, have been doing this work. So how can we all work together and make it and make it really fantastic for students like so teaching food I've been, I, that's what I was doing for the last six years teaching kids in schools and like it's so much fun to see kids just like come alive with like their you know at, at the beginning of the class they have these tomatoes are like ah oh, tomatoes are disgusting and then you know you make the salsa with them and they get super excited that their friends are eating it and they're like oh I guess I'll try it like I don't like tomatoes but and then at, at the end they're tasting and they're like oh tomatoes are pretty good actually like it's <laughs> so many times that like yeah. they just get pumped about it like seeing your friends make it see it's just like it's a, it's really a way to make them excited about healthy food yeah for sure um is there anything else that um either of you or both of you would like to add before we end off well, I, I, I would I would just add one more thing because I think that feel good uh, feeling when when one is cooking and making things for themselves is really important. And like your audience is a student audience. Um, and I I would say that actually I think cooking can be uh, a, like a mindfulness activity. It can be um, an activity where you build your self esteem and self confidence. And I encourage people to like 
you know, older people and adults to actually like really put some time into learning some, some skills and cooking for, for yourself or for others. Cause it, it, it is a, I think you benefit, you really benefit from, from doing that. I, sort of in a mental health kind of way. Yeah. And in a health, physical health kind of way too. Yeah. yeah. So I totally, I love that ending. I want, I wanted to add one more thing. Yours is, I, I like the way you ended it. <laughs> just in terms of the curriculum development, just making sure we, we just have to make sure that it's, you know, culturally diverse and has an equity lens and making sure that all the perspectives and ways of knowing are integrated into it. So it's, it's really um, comprehensive and we can, cause we can teach so much from food. It's so exciting how many things you can like use food as a pit, as a, a starting point to have all these really important conversations and so that's I'm I'm excited to see what it looks like yeah for sure mm -hmm. um but yeah thank you um so much for um joining me today um over here um just to talk about this um policy which is really really interesting and I think gonna benefit so many people um and not just students like I said you know teachers too like once they receive that education families um and all that kind of stuff so yeah thank you so much for um having this discussion with me Absolutely. Thanks for having Great. us. Yeah, thank you, Alexandra. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much, Dr. Rupa Patel and Sarah Keyes, for coming on to CFRC 101.9 FM to discuss with us Bill 216 and the positive improvements and changes that it can make in students and teachers and families' lives in the near future, hopefully once it passes the third hearing in the Senate. Um, moving on, we're going to have another interview right now with a PhD candidate here at Queen's University, Connor Stone, who is going to talk with us about some celestial occurrences that are occurring obviously in the sky um, that we can actually see in the Kingston region, which is really cool. We're going to talk about the rare great conjunction that's happening this upcoming Monday, December 21st. So welcome Connor to CFRC 101.9 FM. Um, before we get into it, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Hello, Alex. Uh, so my name's Connor Stone. I'm a PhD student here at Queen's University studying astrophysics, uh, specifically looking at galaxies. And I'm also the Queen's Observatory Coordinator, so I get to uh, sort of run our public outreach program, which is a little more challenging in a lockdown, but, yeah. but we started a, a podcast program that's been going fairly well awesome. uh, called the Fast Radio Bursts. And uh, I also get to do these really cool interviews and talk about all sorts of fun stuff in space. Cool, awesome. Um, so um, this past weekend, the Gem Ended Meteor Shower was at its peak on the 13th. Um, and can you speak to us a little bit about this celestial event and what it sort of means and what people, um, you know, who didn't get a chance to um, see it, what they kind of missed, I guess? Yeah, so the Gem Ended Meteor Shower is pretty consistently one of the best showers of the year. It does happen every year in December, around the middle of December, um, plus or minus a day or so, just depending on how things line up. Mm -hmm. But um, you can expect, if you can get really dark skies, more than one meteor per minute. So it's really worth your time to get out there and see it. Um, they've also got quite bright meteors that come from the Geminids. And what was special this year is we had a new moon at the same time as the meteor shower, which meant that the sky was especially dark if you could find a good location. Okay. So viewers were able to see a lot more meteors than normal. 
And if, if you missed it, like I did, unfortunately, because it was cloudy skies here in Kingston, mm -hmm. there's always um, a pod or the NASA astronomy picture of the day. They, they um, every day release a really cool astronomy related picture. And Thanks. one of those on the Gemini, just after the Gemini meteor shower was a long exposure image that showed what looks like hundred meteors shining through the sky. Wow, that's awesome. So someone took a whole bunch of images and stacked them all together to make this really cool image. No, oh, that's so cool. I definitely gonna go look that up. <laughs> um, and that's, um, that sounds really, really cool. I also wanted to um, take a look at it myself, but um, just with my schedule and whatnot, I couldn't. But uh, the great news is that there's another kind of celestial event happening in the Kingston area this coming Monday, December 21st, um, which was referred to as the rare great conjunction in which Jupiter and Saturn, Saturn will pass close to one another for the first time in what I've heard is like um, hundreds of years. Um, so what's sort of like the significance or excitement of this event? Yeah, so the great conjunction is, is really quite a neat thing that you can start Sort of watching already because if you if you look out at at night maybe between 5 and 6 p.m um what you'll see is two bright dots near the horizon those are jupiter and saturn mm -hmm. and every night until as you said monday the 21st they're going to get closer and closer together and you can okay. watch that happen each night and then on the 21st they'll be so close together that unless you have good eyesight they'll just look like one big bright star uh, and that's that's what people are calling the Christmas star. Mm. And they haven't gotten this close in about 800 years that we've been able to see. Wow. There was one uh, 400 years ago, but it was hidden behind the sun. So obviously we couldn't see it yeah. compared to the brightness of the sun. Um, and so there won't be another one for 60 years that gets as close as this one. So you really got to catch it if you can. Um, and these, these conjunctions called great conjunctions do occur roughly every 20 years, mm -hmm. but they're not always so close as this one. So the term great conjunction is just when Jupiter and Saturn get at their closest approach of their mm -hmm. orbit. And because their orbits aren't the same, one of them is around 12 years, one of them is around 30 years. Um, Okay. Every, every, every 20 years or so, Jupiter sort of laps Saturn. Right. And as it's lapping Saturn and going past it, we get to see them overlap with each other. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if people want to view this, how can they? And is there any, like, a specific time or place that you would kind of recommend people to go see it on Monday? So luckily, Jupiter and Saturn are really quite bright. Even if you're downtown Kingston, you should be able to see this for yourself with your own two eyes. That's awesome. If you, if you want to get a special view, then just about any pair of binoculars or any telescope you can get your hands on, you'll be able to see them both in the same view at the same time, which is really quite uh, special. In fact, um, around Jupiter, you can see four of its moons just with a regular uh, binoculars or telescope. Nice. And Saturn will only be slightly farther away than those moons are from Jupiter, from our perspective. 
That's awesome. Um, yeah, that's really, really interesting and stuff. And really cool that we get to like just view it from Kingston itself. Um, and, um, you know, with the observatory and the podcast, is there anything, um, you know, that folks can also look forward to, like any upcoming events or any upcoming episodes in regards to your podcast that people can check out? Unfortunately, we, well, we can't do any in-person events, so mm -hmm. we can't um, run the observatory and sort of show people for themselves. Mm -hmm. um, the observatory, if you follow our Facebook group, we'll, we'll keep you updated as, as things move along, but we, we can't really run any events, unfortunately. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> um, and is there anything else you'd like to add before we end off? Uh, well, I'd just like to say that uh, if you can get the view through a telescope of Jupiter and Saturn, um, Saturn is uh, particularly special, and it's it's sort of considered the jewel of the sky. And even with a even with a simple telescope, you can see those rings, and those the rings of Saturn have inspired many young astronomers <laughs> to grow up and become uh, adult astronomers. <laughs> so, uh, I I really recommend that you take an opportunity if you can find one to get a look at these objects. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you so much, Connor, for um, having the time to chat with me about um, these really cool occurrences happening um, in the region and stuff. So that we, you know, it could be a really cool thing for folks here to check out. Yeah, thanks for having me. My absolute pleasure. But thank you so much, Connor, um, for coming on to talk with us. Um, thanks for tuning in, everyone, to Today in YGK. Don't forget, check it out, the celestial event, the rare occurrence happening Monday, December 21st. Best view just after sunset, too. Um, but yeah, thank you so much again for tuning in. Have a great rest of your Wednesday, a great rest of your weeks. And we'll be back next week with another great episode. Thank you for listening to Today in YGK, produced with the generous support of the Faculty of Engineering and Applied Sciences at CFRC 101.9 FM at Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario, on the traditional lands of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples.